Blog Talk Radio. your value in the marketplace. This is the inaugural show of When Opportunity Knocks, and I'd like to set the stage for what will be coming over the next 52 weeks and why you should tune in each week and listen. Something unprecedented is about to happen in the world that will be a game changer for women seeking career advancement and business opportunity. It's been called a major threat to the U.S. and world economies, and on many levels it is, but whenever there's a shift in life this large, there's also new opportunity that comes with it. Innovation, positive change. For those who can recognize it, seize it, and take action and advantage of it. It happened around the Industrial Revolution, two world wars, the dot-com era, and it's happening now in a much bigger way. In just 15 short years, all of the baby boomers will have passed the age of 65, and almost 25% of the American population will exit the workforce. Think about that for a minute. One quarter of the workforce just gone. Many of those aging boomers hold management and leadership positions in business, industry, academia, and politics. And those are the very management and leadership positions so many women aspire to and so few have been able to achieve over the past decades. Research shows that women don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, and they don't feel taken seriously. And there's been much said about the glass ceiling, equal pay for equal work, and although some progress has been made, I think most women would agree that we still have a long way to go. This life shift in our population is your opportunity to give flight to your career and business aspirations. Now, some will say, no, the baby boomers will never retire. And it's true that baby boomers are staying in the workforce longer than the generation before them. But that just gives us the time we need to prepare ourselves with the education and the experience necessary to fill those leadership positions. And it will take time to master those skills and gain the experience needed to be successful. But make no mistake, the boomers will exit the workforce, and when they do, there will be a huge gap filled with new opportunity and the need for skilled people who are willing and capable of stepping into those positions all over the world. This is an opportunity for women to claim those positions, all women, young women, middle-aged women, even boomer women, whose studies show happen to stay in the workforce longer than their male counterparts. It's said that luck happens when preparation meets opportunity, and it's my goal to provide you with guests and topics each week that help you increase your value in the marketplace today and help you get ready for the opportunities of tomorrow. I'm part of that first generation of women to enter the workforce, to really go after a career. 
I experienced firsthand the glass ceiling, the equal pay issue, the child care issue when there wasn't any option for daycare, and the gender bias that exists and, and still exists to some extent today in the workplace. When I entered the workforce, women could easily become a secretary or a teacher or a nurse, but the options to move into other areas were few, and over the years, this has changed quite a bit, but we still have a long way to go. So what we're trying to accomplish here and what I'm devoting my time and energy to is to bring these, these guests and this information to you in a way that will help you prepare yourself. I really believe that we need more compassion, collaboration, and understanding in our lives, in our businesses, in our careers, and in the world in general. There's just too much aggression, anger, and too many what's-in-it-for-me leaders that permeate today's world. We need more women leaders in business and in politics. We need to balance the aggression with confident, caring power and gentle strength. And like many of you, I have a daughter and three granddaughters, and that is what drives me to want to do my part to help shift things, to help you be seen, be heard, and be taken seriously. It's my goal to bring you topics each week to prepare you for this, to help you make a positive impact in the world, and to be a positive force for change. I'd like you to be able to feel confident seizing new opportunities when they arise. And I'm honored to be able to play a part in balancing our future through you. Today's show is going to be a little bit different than the rest of our shows will be. We're going to be setting the stage for what's to come. And beginning next week, we will have a guest each week to talk about the skills and strategies you need for tomorrow's opportunity and things that can increase your value in the marketplace today. These discussions will cover a wide range of topics. And I encourage you to reach out to me if there's a topic that you would like to cover on the show that we don't have planned. Post all your ideas on the When Opportunity Knocks Facebook page and we'll be happy to look for guests that can meet your needs. We're going to start today by talking about what I call personal entrepreneurship. And whether you're a business owner or have a career working for someone else, the skills you need and the mindset you must have today is the same. We're going to identify some of those mindset issues, and over the coming weeks we'll be diving deeper into these with guest experts that you can learn and grow from. So the first one that I'd like to talk about is about vision. Having a vision for what you want and what you don't want, who you want to serve, what you enjoy doing, really understanding yourself and your clients. Understanding your clients' pain and desire, so the 10 parts of personal entrepreneurship are about having a vision for your life, having a vision for what you want to do, what you enjoy doing, 
who you want to serve in the work that you do, again, whether that's a career or a business that you own, what industry you want to work in. And number two is really understanding the client that you serve. Even if you work in an organization, you have an internal client. What's their pain and desire? And how can you bring your skills and knowledge and expertise to the table to match up with what they need? That's what makes you valuable. Number three is knowing your competition, keeping your pulse on the market. Twitter is a great research tool. If you're not using that, you can look for different hashtags around your industry or around your business or your competitors' names if you're a business owner and really find out what's going on in the world. Keep abreast of that because you'll need to adapt and change based on what the market needs are. Number four is recognizing opportunity and being able to respond to it quickly, being nimble, being able to come up with solutions that serve what's needed. That's how you keep yourself fresh, keep your skills fresh, so that you can be in a position to always be gainfully employed. The next one is marketing. You've got to be able to package up what you've got to offer, present it appropriately, know how to position it in the market, how to promote it, and how to price it. What's the value of what you do? What are you worth in the, mar in the marketplace? What type of salary should you command? What should be, you should be charging your clients? All of this are things that a business owner thinks of every day, and as a career person, you ought to be thinking about these things as well. Number six is keeping up with technology. Making sure that your eyes are on the horizon about what's coming along. What might be the next piece of disruptive technology that will change the way we do things, the way we think about things? In the last 10 years, we've received lots of disruptive technologies in our world. And the world keeps changing faster and faster. Who would have imagined 10 or 15 years ago that we would carry an iPhone or an Android device in our pocket or our pocketbook and it would be more powerful than the computers that we used in the, in the 80s or that the first PC that came out, more computing power than that had. And also keep your pulse on what else is changing beyond technology. What are the new norms? What's needed? There's a great little book, and if you haven't read it, I encourage you to. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? It's the story of two mice who leave their home and go out and find this big block of cheese every day so that they can have their breakfast. Well, one day they get there and the cheese is gone. And one of the mice doesn't want to adapt and change. He keeps going back to the same place looking for the cheese. It's not there. You can imagine what happens to him over time. He starves to death, but the other mouse is a little more innovative. He goes around searching for a new piece of cheese, and he thrives. And that's a really good message for all of us to have, because the world we live in today changes faster than it has at any other period in our lifetime. You ought to be also using a management tool called the SWOT analysis on you, your skills, and how you're doing in terms of your business as well as your job. Understand your strengths, your weaknesses. Understand the external opportunities and threats. Doing that periodically for yourself will really help you keep it fresh 
and make sure you're always on the edge of what's needed. You don't want to be chasing opportunity. You want to be anticipating it. Finally, you need to understand numbers. I'm constantly surprised at how many small business owners cannot read a profit and loss statement. That's a skill that everybody who's in management needs to have. You need to understand what things cost. You need to be in a position to save your company money. You need to be thinking like an owner. Because understanding what the competitors are doing, how they stack up, what the key performance indicators are in the business you're in, whether you own it or not, just makes you more valuable because you understand the business at a macro level, in addition to just the job you're doing. And finally, take initiative. Be an active part of change and creating solutions. Even if you work for someone else, they will appreciate an employee who thinks like a business owner. Thinking is the most valuable skill that you can have, thinking and taking action, taking the initiative. Remember, your goal is to stay gainfully employed. Whether that means bringing on a new client or getting a steady paycheck, from a company every week. And in today's changing job landscape, you need the mindset that your business is you, that you are the product, that your skills, your experience, your knowledge, and you are in the business of promoting you. This is a little different than the conventional thinking about a job, but having been both an employer of 50 people and an employee and a solopreneur, I can tell you that as an employer, you want people who act like a business owner, thinks like a business owner, has the best interest of the business in mind, whether they're a partner in it or just an employee. Everyone is in sales. Everyone is in customer service. Everyone needs to be watching the expenses for profitability. It's a team effort, and everybody needs to be involved. So let's take a little break, and we'll be back shortly with the next segment where we're going to talk about the 12 things that you might be doing as a woman to sabotage your success. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. Are you tired of playing small in business or in your career? What could you accomplish if you were seen, heard, and given the opportunity? 
If you want more influence, more impact, and more income, join us at Women's Leadership U. That's the letter U. We are a mastermind program dedicated to preparing women for leadership roles. Learn the skills that employers are looking for and business owners need. Gain the confidence and know how to move your ideas into action. To learn more, visit us at womensleadershipu.com with a capital U. Welcome back to When Opportunity Knocks. We talked in the last segment before the commercial break about personal entrepreneurship and how in 15 short years the uh, landscape for jobs is going to change dramatically as the baby boomers exit the workplace. And we need to be prepared for that because there's going to be lots of opportunity out there for women to capitalize on if they start getting ready and prepared now. And in this segment, we're going to talk about uh, the 12 ways that you might be sabotaging your success. And this comes from an article that was in Inc. Magazine. Um, there's a book, Your Next Bold Move for Women by Wendy Kaplan, who's the CEO of Vision Quest Consulting. And uh, she talks about these 12 ways that we sabotage ourselves as women. So let's take a look at these and examine them in a little bit more detail. And the first one is about using language that minimizes your impact. This is an interesting one because just by choosing different words, you can come across as more confident. And instead of saying things like, um, I believe or I think, I feel, they recommend using words that have a more direct and assertive uh, way of being. Stop trying to be polite and wishy-washy and really be confident. So instead, say things like, I'm confident that, or I'm expecting that, or I'm convinced this will happen. Another um, word they suggested eliminating from your written and verbal vocabulary is the word just, because when you say, I just wanted to, it's really interjecting some weakness into your discussion. Also, asking questions, uh, looking for validation or agreement is a weakened position. So asking people what they think at the end makes you look like you're unsure, according to the article. So you want to stay away from things like hoping to, would like to, and phrases like sort of like. Thinking about your language is hard when you're speaking, but when you're writing, that's a good place to start. You can reread an email before you hit the send button. Make sure you don't have anything in there that sounds weak or uh, wishy-washy. And over time, if you do that with the written word, I venture to guess that you'll be improving the way you're verbalizing things as well. So stop using minimizing language. The second one they talk about in the article is apologizing. Oh gosh, how many of us do that? When you're defending yourself or explaining things in excruciating detail, um, it's an apology. An apology, by definition, is how you show remorse, acknowledge that you did something wrong, caused some hurt or pain for someone by your actions. And we don't want to apologize for everything we do. There's nothing wrong with us. We didn't do anything wrong. All it is is a way of really expressing our unsureness, our lack of confidence, perhaps some 
self-esteem issues or fear, fear that we can't do something right or that it's not good enough. So don't use any apologizing type of language. The words I'm sorry should never be in your vocabulary unless, of course, you did something that warrants an apology. But they cite in the article that many times our voicemail, and I think I'm guilty of this, actually begins with, I'm sorry, I'm not able to speak with you right now. Please leave a message. So stop apologizing. There's nothing wrong with you. And apologizing is asking for permission before acting. It's a confidence issue, and you don't want to be in a position where you're looking always to either get validation or you're appearing indecisive. You know, if you make a decision, there are very few decisions that are completely irreversible. Unless you're doing brain surgery or cardiac surgery or something that's a life or death situation, then you're really not going to ever be in a position where you can't change your mind about something. And you'll want to be in a place where you can make a decision, stick by it. If it doesn't work, then you simply make another decision. And that's perfectly fine. So number four is waiting until we're experts before taking on a new role. I love this one. I think perfectionism might go along with this as well. But when we do that, we're always chasing the opportunity instead of leading. We're lagging behind instead of getting out in front of it and anticipating. I have a coach I work with who has a great saying, I love it. She says, to a third grader, a fourth grader is a god. I just love that. You don't have to know everything. You have to know where to find the answers, which is easy today with all the research tools we have. And you have to stay one or two steps in front of your coworkers or your uh, boss or your clients if you own a business. But you don't have to know everything before you can jump in and do it. Having that mindset will cause you to miss a lot of opportunity because you'll be in a place where you're always chasing it. Oh, that's a good opportunity. Let me run out and learn more about it so I can get involved. And that boat will have sailed by the time you get up to speed. So jump in. Don't let fear stop you. You can do it. Have some confidence. And remember, to a third grader, a fourth grader is a god. Number five is focusing on cooperation rather than competition. Cooperation is great, and frankly, we need more of it. So is collaboration, but not at the exclusion of competition. There are lots of places where you need to be in a position to compete. And as Kaplan says in her article, corporate America has a hierarchical structure, and it isn't set up for collaboration. It's really set up based on competition. So you need to be comfortable competing. And you need to be self-assured enough to make sure that you are a formidable opponent. Number six, questioning ourselves. You know, if you trust your intuitive sense, you really should never have to question yourself. But lots of women, again, have concerns, fears, over whether or not people will like them, do I deserve this, should I put this out there, is this politically correct? And all of this kind of questioning about whether we're good enough, 
big enough, smart enough, whatever you're questioning yourself about, really is limiting. It can paralyze you, so you end up doing nothing. And again, missed opportunities out of fear. Number seven is not setting clear goals. And I think that also includes specific goals. Women are very good at having goals for everyone else. We know exactly what we expect of our kids, our husband, our friends, our family. But we don't always put our own needs in the same category. And not knowing what you want is really a problem. We're very adaptive as human beings. When we're in a situation that isn't our favorite, it's not really getting us what we want, because we're flexible and adaptable, we're able to put up with things. We're able to live with the constraints that we have. And I think women are especially guilty of this. But what do you want? It's okay to want things. As a matter of fact, wanting fuels a strong enough desire to fuel your ambition. So having goals and wanting things, even material things, is a good thing, not a bad thing. Number eight is only setting goals you know you can reach. Playing small, playing safe. You know, if you're doing that, then you don't have to know everything and, and you know, you don't have to fail. You're comfortable you can get the job done. But you need to have some stretch goals. You need to be a little uncomfortable. Failure will not kill you. You may feel a little uncomfortable. You may be sad, upset for a while, but you'll get over it. And an, an indecisive and unfulfilling life, however, might kill you of boredom. So make sure that you have some stretch goals set for yourself. You want some attainable and easily reachable goals too, but at least one stretch goal to keep, keep you moving in the right direction. For example, I have never done a radio show before, and we'll see over the coming weeks whether I'm you know, into that stretch goal and do well with it. It's a little nerve-wracking, but here I am, and I hope I'm imparting some good information to you today, and we have some exciting guests coming on the show every week in the future. Number nine is not setting clear boundaries. I think this is a big one for women. Letting people get away with not taking you seriously, not respecting you, or your own feelings of obligation or guilt if you don't do something are not going to get you where you need to be. You're going to be always serving others and you're not going to be really in a position to meet all of your goals and get everything done you want to for yourself. So learning to say no is important. There's a lot of power in the ability to say no. Number 10, worrying too much about relationships. I think we worry what our friends will think, what our um, family will think. We want to be liked. We want to be in a position where we're popular. And sometimes if you do some things that are achievement-oriented and you propel yourself forward, some people may get a little jealous or they may not be supportive of you. I think you need to stop really caring what people think and serve yourself. And if people really are your friends and your supporters, like your family and so on, they're going to be there for you because they want you to succeed. They want you to step out and achieve your dreams. And if there are people that not supportive of you, then maybe they re really weren't your friends anyway. Number 11 is getting too hung up on the details. Letting go, asking for help. You know, we always think of asking for help as being a weakness. 
I should have been able to figure that out myself. It's not a weakness. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And when we focus too much on the details, we tend not to see the bigger picture. We tend not to have our eye on the horizon. And at the sea level in organizations, you're not going to be involved in the details. You're going to be involved in the bigger picture. So you need to develop those skills as well. No one can do it exactly like me. Sometimes that's why we get hung up in the details, and that's that perfectionism thing going on again. So you have to balance that out with the bigger picture and make sure that you're focusing on details that count, but you're also able to delegate and focus on the big picture. And finally, the last one is failing to build a personal brand. So what's a personal brand? It's what you stand for. It's what you're all about. It has to do with your point of view and standing firm in that no matter what. Really having something that people know you by. So if I asked somebody to describe you in three words or less, they would know what you stood for. That's a personal brand. And if you work on cultivating one, it will really help you, whether you're career-oriented or whether you have your own business, to have people see you for who you are and then be authentic in that. So those are the 12 actions or habits that might cause you to sabotage your success. Let's take another break, and we'll be back in a minute to talk about our third segment, which is going to be about your personal entrepreneurship style. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who have been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. If operating your small business has you stressed, impacts your health, chips away at your relationship, and eats up all of your free time, Simple Small Business Solutions can help you implement business systems that make running your business easier. Whether you're trying to make more sales, struggling to get your marketing done, or want better information to manage your business, we can help. Visit us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. Welcome back. Now, so far today, we've talked about personal entrepreneurship and how there might be some great opportunities coming along that we need to prepare ourselves for. And we talked about the 12 ways you might be sabotaging your success and what you can do about it. And now we're going to focus on some tools and strategies that you can use to increase your value in the marketplace and really the five things that you need to do constantly to make sure 
that you are fresh, updated, and in demand. We've already said that whether you own a company or whether you work for someone else, really need to be thinking about personal entrepreneurship. The mindset's the same. The skills and strategies are the same. You need to think of yourself as a product or a service and how you're going to be received and valued in the marketplace. And it really has a five-step process. The first thing you need to do is really understand what you bring to the table. And we'll talk about that in a lot more detail in just a minute. You also need to think of yourself as a product, as I mentioned, and think about how you repackage yourself, what you can be talking about in terms of what you bring in the way of solutions and skills to the table so that you can meet individual needs depending on the situation you're looking at. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how you match what you bring to the needs out there, some tools that you can use to do that, and how you figure out what it's all worth so you know what salary you should be getting or you know what you should be charging as a business owner. We're going to talk, number four, about assessing fit. You want to be spending time doing things you enjoy doing. And in order to do that, you need a way to look at who you are, what you bring to the table, and measure that against where you're deciding to work or what you're looking at in terms of an opportunity or a client. And you want to make sure there's a good fit and you're not setting yourself up for mission impossible. And finally, you need to market yourself. And you need to be marketing yourself continually, even if you have a J-O-B that you're happy with, because you just never know what the future might bring. So let's dive into these a little bit deeper, and we'll start with understanding yourself and understanding what you bring to the table. You want to look at several things when you're talking about your whole suite of what you bring. The first thing is your personality. The personality is so important because it tells you things about some skills that you have that you may not even realize are skills because they're so natural to the way you act that you just take them for granted. I find a lot of times clients have some what I call hidden skills because they don't even think of them as skills and yet they're they have value in the marketplace. So you need to understand what is really just such a part of you that you don't even think twice about it, and yet it brings a lot of value. So let me give you an example. If you're a detail-oriented person, and it's just part of your personality to be that way, or you like to get things right, you like high quality, you're very meticulous, those are personality traits that bring a lot to the job depending on the position you're in. So recognizing those and making sure you're leveraging those strengths is extremely important and often overlooked. I use what I call, um, well, what I've developed actually, it's called a personal power profile to help pull all this together. And I've put um, a couple of little exercises out on the Facebook page for when Opportunity Knocks that you can grab for free 
to uh, look at some of this for yourself um, and, you know, play around with it. So I encourage you to go out there and do that. It's in the About section, and you'll see um, the link to get those. And, again, they're free. So please enjoy and have fun with it with my compliments. The second thing that we look at are your skills. That's a pretty obvious one. But there are really three types of skills. And one of them is personality, which we've just talked about. Another one is your knowledge. And the third is your transferable skills. The things that you really can do from job to job or from opportunity to opportunity or from client to client. For example, if you know how to create a budget, that's a transferable skill because you can create a budget for any organization or for a volunteer group that you belong to or for your household. So those are the kinds of transferable skills that we talk about. They're usually skills that are represented by verbs. And very often if you look at your resume, they'll be the words that start the bullet points in your resume, like managed or budgeted or hired, those kinds of skills. Your knowledge-based skills are the formal learning that you get. Now let me just clarify that a little bit because it's formal learning that you can obtain through your paid position, workshops, through a college education, seminars, but it can also be learning that you've done on your own through self-study and it can be things that you've picked up and learned how to do through hobbies, through volunteer organizations you belong to. And oftentimes, we look at our knowledge and we forget those things. So it's important to make sure you take complete stock of what you know because you'll, you'll be surprised at how much is there. And we've already talked about personality. So those are the three types of skills. Now, one of the most important things that you need to get a sense of, and this is one of the exercises out on the Facebook page, are your values. Values are the key to happiness, really. In your work environment, whether you own your own company or whether you are working for someone else, your values dictate how satisfied you're going to be in your position. If your values aren't honored or your values are tromped on in some way, you're going to come home at the end of the day and feel pretty miserable about what you're doing for work. Uh, a good example is um, a career coach friend of mine that talks about values uses the um, attorney as an example. So if you're an attorney who's a litigator, you're on the side of the prosecuting attorney, and you're not feeling fulfilled because one of your values is helping others, a simple switch to a different type of law, perhaps representing the defendant instead of being the prosecutor, might help to honor that value of helping people. And oftentimes people will feel so dissatisfied when their values aren't being honored that they'll be looking to change professions or change jobs or uh, you know, stop working with a client or something of that nature, when in fact some, it's really usually a matter of just a small tweak that can turn things around and make everything feel more satisfying to you. So again, if you go out to the Facebook page when Opportunity Knocks and download that values exercise, I think you'll get a little insight and have a little fun with that. 
Then you need to be thinking about your communication skills. And communication, as you know, is verbal, written, and it's also nonverbal communication. How are you communicating to people? If you're the type of person who's an open book um, and you're trying to be upbeat and you're saying real positive things, but you're slouched and you're, you know, not looking too excited, people are going to read those cues. It's amazing how little we depend on the verbal communication and how much we look at uh, facial recognition, eye contact, and the body language that we portray with the rest of our body. So be cognizant of your message in terms of your communication, um, in terms of both your physical presence and also your words. We're actually going to have a speaker coming up in a couple of weeks that's going to talk about presence and some of that. So I think you'll find that interesting. We also need to be looking at other people and what I call reading other people's body language. Your intuition is very good if you tap into it and allow yourself to get the cues that other people are giving off. Often, especially in the world today, we're in such a rush to get everything done and you know if you tend to be uh, an action-oriented extroverted kind of person you may be thinking about what you're going to say next and not really paying attention to the cues that you're getting from the person that you're speaking with so that's something to really watch listening is such an important skill and the higher you want to go in the corporation in, in a corporate ladder or up to the level of your own organization, the more important communication skills become. So that's something we're going to talk about. We have a couple of guests that will be coming up talking about communication skills. Another one is your emotional intelligence. So we talk about your IQ, your intellectual intelligence, but of late there's been a lot of work done around emotional intelligence and that's really your ability to handle situations with empathy and compassion and how to keep your feelings in control respect the feelings of others really work with people on a level where you're communicating well without having the drama or the you know the freakouts or whatever else might might occur and that is something that we'll talk about in the future as well so those are the key pieces of understanding yourself. And the reason that we spend time on figuring all of this out is because when you develop that profile of yourself or you think about the things that matter to you and how you are and you're honest with yourself about those things, you really develop the ability to match who you are up with the clients you work with and the opportunities that come your way. So you know if you're going to be doing things that are a good fit, things that you would enjoy. We spend a lot of time at work. When I started out working, we worked about a 35 or a 37 and a half hour work week. It's not unusual now for people to be working 50, 55 hours. So you really better like what you're doing. You better have people you're working with that you enjoy being with because it makes for an awfully long and miserable day if you don't. And all of these things are tools you can use to help measure yourself against where you are and what you're doing. If you're feeling dissatisfied or before you take the next opportunity, taking a look at whether or not it fits your personality 
and your strengths, your skills, and what you like to do, not just what you can do, is important before you take the step. And let me just talk a little bit about the difference between what we can do and what we like to do. Many of us have lots of skills we're very competent in, but just because you know how to do something doesn't mean you enjoy doing it. And it's really great if you can find a position or craft your business in such a way that you're spending the bulk of your time doing things you enjoy doing. It really makes it so much more rewarding. There's a study that Gallup did recently that showed that 70% of working Americans were not engaged in what they were doing. 70%. And the shocking piece of that was that it really didn't make any difference what age you were or what your level of education was or whether you were a man or a woman. We're all going through the motions and so many of us are just not happy with what we're doing. So this is a, a key piece in having a quality life and you know, really bringing things to the table for yourself that make you feel excited and enthusiastic about what you're doing. Okay, let's take a short break. And after the commercial, we'll be back to talk about number two, three, four, and five, treating yourself as a product, matching your needs to the marketplace, more about assessing fit, and how to market yourself. We'll be right back. Are you a small business owner with a big vision? Does every day require too much of your personal involvement to take the next step? At Simple Small Business Solutions, we offer consulting and coaching to align your business reality with your vision for the future. Simple Small Business Solutions can help you put the pieces in place to get there. Clear your plate, reclaim your time, get the freedom and flexibility you need to achieve your next success. Contact us at simplesmallbusinesssolutions.com. Okay, and we're back. So we're talking about the five steps you can take or the five things you can do to really understand yourself and, and really hone in on your personal entrepreneurship. The tools and strategies you need to become more valuable in the marketplace. So number two, we talked about number one, understanding yourself. Number two is thinking of yourself as a product. And that's really all about learning how to repackage yourself so that you're serving the particular needs of the client or the company that you want to do business with or work for. So it's really no different than a company marketing to a client. You have a client, whether it's the individual that you work for or the clients for your small business, you still need to win them over, make sure that they understand your value so you get what you're worth in terms of compensation or price, and also to be in a position to help them with exactly what they need. This is the piece of understanding yourself that really gets you the most value because it helps you hone in on exactly what the needs are and then you can talk about how you fill them exactly. And you need to be talking about things like features and benefits and results. Now, if we think about the person who works for someone else and has a resume, and we talked about those bullets, oftentimes the benefits of what you do and the results, um, that's where you find them, in the bullets. People are very good about talking 
in terms of what they've done, but not often very good about putting in the results that came from it. And that's a key piece because when you say you know how to manage a department, you need to demonstrate that by showing the benefits and the results that became uh, possible because of your management. So usually we want to see people talk about their accomplishments in terms of num some numbers, size, some dollar amounts, something like that that really helps to demonstrate how you did that. This is not unlike a testimonial you might get from a client, except it's just you talking about it. But you need to think about this because as you have your conversations with prospective employers or with prospective clients, they want to know what you can do for them. And once you understand their needs, which is the first important part, then you can hone in on the pieces of what you do that meet the needs that they have. That makes it a much more poignant conversation where they're really able to see easily what you bring to the table. All of a sudden, you'll look like exactly what they needed, exactly what they were looking for, and that's going to increase your value in the marketplace. So it's all about understanding what people need and then matching up what you do to what they need. Now, it's possible that you won't have what they need. That can occur. And I think recognizing that is as important as looking at an opportunity or looking at a client and saying, yes, I can help them. You don't want to work for people that you can't satisfy or that the opportunity is going to be a difficult one to fulfill, you want to make sure there's a good match. So understanding that is key. And as you work with team members in your organization, again, whether you own it or whether you work in it, knowing what everybody else brings to the table and respecting the, those differences and being in a position to leverage the different skills and personalities that come together on a team really makes for a more valuable team output and experience. You don't want to work with all people exactly like you because you'll no doubt have some things that maybe aren't your best strengths. And having other people that do have strengths in that area can really complement the team, complement the, the result. So you want to make sure that when you're looking at yourself as a product, you're pulling out all those skills and all that knowledge and packaging it up in terms of the benefit it brings and the results. And this is important, especially when we get to point three, which is matching you to the needs and then what's it worth. You're worth a lot more when you can bring value to the experience. If people really see the overall long-term value you're going to create for them, that's worth a lot more than just listing out a bunch of skills. If I know that you're good with numbers, but you can show me results of how you are so good with numbers, you saved your last client or your last job opportunity X amount of dollars with your prudent ability to analyze the numbers and make changes based on what's needed. That's worth a lot more to me than just knowing that you're good with numbers. I hope you can see that distinction because it's really important to understand 
when you're looking to increase your value, get paid more for what you do, get paid what you're worth, it isn't about what you know how to do. It isn't about how long you've been doing what you're doing. It's all about the results you bring and the value that creates for your clients. And we're going to have a speaker later on that talks a lot about how to establish your value and how to look at that. I think that's a very important uh, piece for women because we tend to underestimate our value in the marketplace. I think what, for one thing, we're used to settling for that 80 cents on the dollar that people talk about. But we're also, I think, afraid to be assertive and really understand what we do bring. And working on the results of what you've done, making a list for yourself of your accomplishments and how what that resulted in for the people you did it for will be a huge boost to your understanding of your value and how that can play into what people are looking to pay you and what clients are looking to, to pay you. Number four is about assessing fit. And again, you want good fit, not mission impossible. Values are an important part of establishing a culture. And every organization has a culture, and you want to make sure that your values are in alignment with the culture's values. That's how you know that you're going to be in a place where you'll find people you enjoy working with, you'll have work you enjoy doing, the policies will be policies that you can buy into, that you'll feel good about. It'll just be a much better fit for you if your values match up. I actually was doing some consulting in an insurance company, and I was really struck when we entered the office as to the layout and the seating arrangement of the people in the organization. When you're working with insurance, you would think that underwriters would be the valuable commodity. They're the ones that really help determine whether the company is profitable or not by the decisions they make. And yet, all the window offices were held by people that were in IT, and the underwriters were relegated to the center of the room where there were no windows and they just had cubes instead of offices. Interesting. You can tell a lot about the culture by just looking around and seeing what's going on. Let's move on to number five, which is marketing. Now, marketing is very important whether you're an employee or whether you are an employer. And I keep, I keep saying that, but I can't stress it enough. You need to develop a, an effective network so that you can do a lot of connecting. You need to have a good message so that people understand what you bring to the table. And you need to ask for opportunity. And a lot of times I hear from women that, well, there are no opportunities. I get passed by. You know, other people get all the opportunities. But really, it's up to you to make your own opportunities and to ask for them. And we'll get into a lot more of that as the weeks progress. So what do you have to work with to accomplish the three things you need to do, which is connecting, having a good message, and asking people to work with you? If you're an employee, you have a resume, you have some kind of a vehicle that you send with the resume, whether it's a cover letter or an introductory piece you do on an online website or an email, 
And the nice thing about a resume is that it demonstrates the three types of skills that we talked about. Your knowledge, down usually in the education section, your transferable skills in the bullets, and if you write them correctly, you've got your results in there that demonstrate how you use those skills and what advantage you brought to the table using them. And your personality is a little bit harder to ascertain from the resume because we are used to a standardized format for that. So that's the place that you really need to make sure you um, use your cover letter and any emails that you send, any telephone conversations that you have to set up interviews or that sort of thing. You need to be sure that your voice and your personality comes through. If you're detail-oriented, make sure all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, and people realize you're doing that. If you're um, gregarious and um, outward, you know, facing, very happy and a people person, you need to show that. So it's all about demonstrating the, the aspects of your personality that are what your prospective employer are looking for. It's no different if you're wooing a client as a business person. You may not have a resume or a cover letter, but you'll have a proposal and some series of emails or telephone conversations. And you really want to accomplish the same thing. You want to be in a position to help them understand what skills you bring to the table, what results you generate, and what personality type you have, how you're going to be to work with, so they can assess your fit. So these are the important marketing pieces that you need to communicate. Beyond that, you need to know what you stand for, and your message needs to include that. Remember, people buy people. They don't really buy products. People want to do business with other people that they know and like and trust. So you want to be in a position to let people know a little bit about you on a deeper level. They want to understand you to, to really decide whether or not they like what you stand for and they're going to enjoy working with you. And the guest that we're going to have coming up next week is going to talk a lot about your message about yourself. And we'll be covering that in a variety of ways over the coming weeks because it's very, very important. Now, I'm sure everybody's heard about the elevator pitch. And if you're going to a networking event, you do have to know what to say. But the messaging is very important. And you need to be sure you understand how your value will be perceived in the marketplace. And when you craft that message, it should speak to that. So whether you have a job or not, whether you're a business owner or an employee, you still need to network. You still need to network to find out what's going on in your industry. You still need to network to meet potential clients. Remember, everybody is in sales. You need to network for your next opportunity. You need to be out there so that should anything happen to your position or should you decide that a move is in order to further your career, you've got a well-established network to work in. Well, that wraps up our show for this week. I want to thank you for spending the last hour with me. I hope you found the information helpful. Next week, we'll begin our series of guest interviews. I hope you'll tune in next Monday at noon and hear what our guests have to say about increasing your value in the marketplace. 
This is the EWN Radio Network.